Need a break from the horrifying reality of real life? Well, do we have a sexy deal for you. Go to adamandeve.com and use our special code HORROR for 50% off almost any item and free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R at checkout for 50% off and free shipping. Order now and get ready to... Hello, everyone. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of I'm Horrified. I'm horrified, and it's officially spooky season. It sure is. We've we've rung in October. It's happened. It's October time. I mean, my spooky season started in September. And I mean, I've been spooked since March when we all had to enter our home. Yeah, honestly, like, spooky season, season has been here. So yeah. this is just all an official putting, spooky season. We should have all started putting cute little ghosts on things months ago. Yeah, honestly. Just to sort of, like, as, like, a pathetic fallacy, like, our environment mirroring yeah. our our feelings exactly um but you know for spooky season we're here for you to spook you absolutely um and that's our calling especially you know our coven dictates that this is the time when we are spookiest yes this is our 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 peak spookiness right yeah we're at our height yeah once Um, november hits i'm barely spooky at all i'm so full (laughs) <laughs> you know in november <laughs> yeah i'm eating mashed potatoes every half hour so i can't i can't be scary that's so my wish full of potatoes november. i hope by november we can all just be eating mashed potatoes every half hour continually with other people would be great probably not probably alone even alone potatoes. No. i'll take it i'll take it i mean absolutely i'll take it but um yeah that's that's the future. But we're not here to talk about Thanksgiving yet. What are you here to talk about, Sam? Um, I'm going to talk about a, 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 a woman, a, a little lady named Georgia Tan. I don't know who this is. So I'm really out. excited to find out. Um, I'm going to talk about... I, I thought about a couple ways to say this. Um, but the Wikipedia page that I used <laughs> to do research... Um, was called Poisoned Candy Myths. Love it. And so, like, I started thinking about, like, oh, apple, like, razor blades and apples for mm-hmm. trick-or-treaters, and I dug deep on that. So we're going to talk about poison candy myths. I cannot wait to hear, I, and I'm familiar with those, but I can't wait to hear in more detail. You you think you're familiar with it. So true, I might not even be. And then now it's going to blow your mind. I cannot wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, we'll, we'll start with me, and then we'll get to the good stuff. <laughs> As always, no. That's As horrible. always, you uh, you are you're my favorite co-host. The great thing about us, Allie, is that we're both perfect. We're, we're each other's favorite. We've um, never done anything wrong. We don't have even one flaw between the two of us. No, we couldn't scrape one together if we tried. No, and so it's I I imagine it's hard for the listeners to decide who's the favorite. I mean, how do you choose between perfect and perfect? I agree. I agree. There's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> um, so. In that spirit, Sam, take it away. Uh, Georgia Tan, I've talked about a lot of shitty men lately. Let's really mix it up. Let's talk about a shitty woman. That's feminism. Because <laughs> that is feminism. Uh, today we're going to talk about Georgia Tan. She did some very bad stuff. Also intersects with some old Hollywood glamour. Of course, Ooh. I was interested. Uh, that. That's a little teaser for you, Al, about what's to come. So, Georgia Tan was born uh, July 18th, 1891, uh, in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Didn't know they had one. 
but they do. <laughs> That's crazy. That's like, there's, there's some places that have like a Boston. There's like a Boston, New Hampshire. There's like a Boston, Maine. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very weird. Um, but so she, she lives her whole life. She attends Martha Washington College in Abington, Virginia. She graduates with a degree in music in 1913. She played piano, but she despised playing piano. Her father had forced her to play piano, but really she wanted to be a lawyer. Like her dad was a lawyer. Um, and he, and she literally like passed the bar. Um, but he was like, no, no daughter of mine will be a lawyer. And she was like, that blows. Uh, so she decided to go into one of the very few careers, uh, that unmarried women of the time were allowed to go into social work. Uh, but we're going to find out that was bad. (laughs) She shouldn't have, she shouldn't shouldn't have done that. that. She should have just played to that damn piano. Yeah. If only she had just kept playing piano, but, uh, she gets a job at the Mississippi Children's Home Society working as the receiving director at the Kate McWillie Powers Receiving Home for Children. Uh, basically like an orphanage or a foster care system is what she's working at. And at this time, um, this is just a note because her name comes up a couple times. Um, there was a daughter of a family friend. Her name was Anne Atwood, who also worked at the home as a house mother. Uh, and it seems pretty clear that the two were in a romantic relationship. Georgia later adopts Anne, but that was like a very common thing for same-sex couples of the time for like inheriting reasons. Hmm. Uh, so, like, sometimes when you hear about Georgia Tan, you hear about, like, her girlfriend slash her daughter, Anne Atwood. Um, that's what's going on there. Uh, but when, so they met there, Tan is ultimately terminated because of her questionable child-placing methods. Uh, basically, she was removing children from impoverished homes without cause. Uh, and that's also a spoiler alert. Keep that in mind that she was doing that. And then so why, she, why was she Why was she doing that? Um, She thought, um, we're going to get to this, but she thought that there's no way a poor person could raise a child. Oh, okay. That's bad. Yeah, that, you know, parenthood, it's for the rich. Uh, But so she, so she gets fired from this job. um, And so she and uh, George's adopted daughter, June, and Anne's infant son, Jack, all move together to Memphis, Tennessee at this time. Uh, And also, this is just a fun fact that I found out as I was researching this. Uh, The cohabitation of two financially independent women at this time was referred to as a Boston marriage. (laughs) Because we have so many lesbians? (laughs) I don't don't know. Um, And it had once been, like, really socially acceptable for, like, two women who didn't, like, have husbands and were financially independent to live together. But by the time Georgia and Anne were around, people had started to view the relationships as, quote, suspiciously homosexual um which suspiciously <laughs> which uh, suspiciously in, is right in this case it was um and so they're you know they hid the true rela- nature of their relationship their whole lives but i just thought that was very funny that there was a term for those relationships and it was a boston marriage yeah so here we go we, we're moving to the tennessee children's home society georgia is a real go-getter at work um and so she rose through the ranks using quote aggressive tactics to take over the entire organization. So she is now the head of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, and in 1924, the child trafficking begins. Oh, no! Yeah, so let's take a moment and just talk about what made the child trafficking a profitable idea for Georgia. Uh, In the 1900s and the 1910s, formalized adoptions were actually pretty rare, 
but in the 1920s, adoption began to be marketed as a shortcut to societal improvement. Um, according to one ad for the National Home Finding Society, adoption would reduce divorces, banditry, murder, and control births, fill all the churches and do real missionary work at home and abroad, exchanging immigrants for Americans and stopping some from the road leading to war. So this is all- I, I don't know if it's going to do all of that. Yeah, right. And then these ideas are really tightly tied into the theory of eugenics, which is basically like controlling reproduction of genetically inferior people. Oh, no. Uh, which is really fucked up. So what the movement's basically saying is that like, if you take children that are in like an inferior environment and you give them to like some nice white parents or some nice white rich parents, uh, those children are going to improve society more than they would have if they had stayed with their biological parents. Shitty. Which is a fucked up idea. <laughs> it's, you know, not necessarily true. And But this campaign to explain like why adopting out these children is so great is launched. And so this new outlook really helped adoptions and also baby formula was invented uh, and popularized around this time. Before that, it was really hard to adopt a little baby if you were not lactating. Because oh, true, yeah. You really had to kind of get creative to feed this baby. Um, and so when baby formula became popular, alongside these ideas of like, let's take babies from alcoholic families and raise them in these nice Christian families and we'll see da 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 da, -da what happens. Uh, they really came together at uh, a, a good slash bad time. So wealthy white people want these babies. They want only the best babies. <laughs> what makes a good baby? What is that? Every baby is good. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, these people thought the best babies were, you know, white, blue eyes, probably blonde. <laughs> oh, just that, that smattering of characteristics. Cute. Chubby, but not too chubby, you know, like that perfect baby chubbiness. I like a dangerously chubby baby myself. <laughs> Me too. Me too as well. Uh, and so Tennessee law permitted agencies to place children with like any appropriate applicant. But in an effort to ban the selling of children, agencies like couldn't charge that much for the child. They could only charge for their services. So that was about like $7 for adoptions within Tennessee, which is like $75 nowadays. So like ten Tennessee law was trying to say like, you should get paid for making this adoption happen. <laughs> but you can't sell babies. You can't be like, this baby's worth 500 bucks because it's gorgeous. <laughs> and I'm assuming Georgia Tan went, can't I? <laughs> oh boy, did she. Um, yeah, so the way to make money in the adoption industry, in case anyone's curious, <laughs> at this time, was basically to find a perfect baby and then adopt them out to a really wealthy family out of state, because then those Tennessee laws don't quite ap apply. And then those wealthy white parents are able to pay a premium for this gorgeous child. And so was birthed Georgia's business model. The basics were, um, she started with kids that were actually coming into kind of her foster home, Tennessee home society, uh, but it ended up being a lot of kidnapping. She would kidnap kids from low income areas. One of her favorite methods was to drive through impoverished neighborhoods, picking out the prettiest children, offering them rides in her shiny black luxury car. And once the children were in the car, they never saw their families again. Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrifying. And the other thing to keep in mind is Georgia's really, really well connected. Her father, George Tan, 
has been a chancellor in the second district of Mississippi for 27 years. She's working really closely with Judge Camille Kelly, who presided over the juvenile court in Tennessee for 30 years. So even if like these kids were like in court trying to figure something out, the judge was on Georgia's side and would say like, no, yeah, you should definitely have to go to this foster home and like get adopted out. Uh, even oh. if kids were like, I want to stay with my parents and the parents were like, I want my kid. <laughs> um, didn't matter because the whole system was working against them. Tan was paying a network of social workers, police officers, doctors, lawyers. She had people who like worked in preschools and churches and like playgrounds and would just like nab kids for her. Uh, and again, they're preying on poor children and families that don't have the means to fight back. So like Tan would literally sometimes approach families and offer like medical help. And then she would be like, well, there's no way you can afford this bill for your kids. So let me adopt your kid out now. And you can't afford it. So you have to. Like she had all these systems to fuck with people. And because the system was against them, like these people couldn't fight back. And the other place she would go a lot is homes for unwed mothers, welfare hospitals, prisons, like anywhere that people were kind of down on their luck, she would show up and be like, I'm going to take your child because it's hot and I can sell it to a parent in California. Oh God. It was a nightmare. Yeah. A full, a full nightmare. Um, doctors working with Tan would also sometimes tell new mothers that their babies had died during birth and then the children would be buried at no cost to the family. But in it seems a lot of those cases, those babies did not die and were actually just given right to Georgia Tan. Oh God. Yeah. And one of the quotes from someone who like was around during this time is, um, if they were unsedated and tried to hold the babies after the baby was born, so these are the unwed mothers, uh, Georgia Tan would step in and say, well, you don't want people in your hometown to know about your pregnancy, do you? And then whisk the baby away. Um, so she would take her new acquisition, Georgia, a child, uh, and would adopt them out to parents waiting out of state, usually pocketing 80 to 90% of what she was charging these parents. Um, so like I said, the fee in Tennessee for adoption was about $75 in today's dollars. Tan moved her merchandise for $1,000 ahead, about $10,000 today. <gasps> oh. And she was pocketing that difference. It was a huge amount of money. Um, and so they would go to usually like California and New York and they're coming from Tennessee. Um, couples would have to pay $700 with a check made out to Georgia Tan. And then meanwhile, that she was also charging them for air travel costs, addition, like additional background checks that she wouldn't actually do. Um, the state of Tennessee was contributing $61,000 to the official agency. The agency wasn't really seeing any of that. It was just going to Georgia Tan. And here's where we get to the crazy part of the story. Who was Georgia Tan selling these babies to? Oh, just literal Hollywood celebrities. No. Uh, so on like the list of confirmed people who adopted Tan babies are um, Dick Powell and June Allison, who were really big Hollywood stars back in the day. Lana Turner, Pearl S. Buck, New York Governor Herbert Lemon. Uh, they all adopted tan babies. And in 1947, the super ultra mega famous Joan Crawford adopted her twins, Kathy and Cindy, from Georgia Tan. Oh, my God. Yeah. Big, big, big names. And this was actually brilliant because not only did these celebrities have the cash to pay, they had a lot to lose if news about the illegal, I can't speak, the illegality of these adoptions ever came to light. 
So even if they thought to themselves, like, man, my kid really seems to remember their parents and like <laughs> something seems weird here, they would never want to self-report because they were Joan Crawford. They were June Allison. Like they couldn't let that be known about them. So it was kind of brilliant so in a way. crazy. Um, kind of like Scientology. It's a lot like Scientology. That's why they get so many celebrities, because they got dirt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally exactly like that. Georgia Tan did it first. And, of course, that is not all. Um, as detailed in the Tennessee Department of State's investigation, perhaps more troubling than Tan selling babies for profit is that she was also blamed for the deaths of many children. Oh, Some boy. individuals even dubbed her a serial killer. During her tenure, Shelby County had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation. In 1951, investigation report of Governor Browning, the investigation report of Governor Browning gives the following details. While the financial transactions of Miss Tan were shocking, enough other facts came to our attention which disturbed us even more. We found that on many occasions, babies had been taken from their mothers at hospitals when only a few hours old and placed in nursing homes in and about Memphis where they were without medical care. Many of these children died. Not only that, but the children placed in the Memphis home itself were not properly cared for, and many children died while there as a direct result of violations of physicians' orders. Doctors would prescribe formulas and medicines, which were completely disregarded on orders from the director of the Memphis home, Georgia Tan. So Mm, That's horrible. Totally horrible. Georgia Tan is unsparing in her cruelty. Former Home Society employees say that if an infant was deemed too weak, it might be left in the sun to die. If a child had a congenital disability or it was considered too ugly or too old to be of use, Tan had people get rid of them. And many were buried on the property. And like they found about 20 in an unmarked plot of land within the Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. It's awful. Mm. It so reminds me of the... um the mother and child homes in Choom that we talked about. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of that same model and it's a lot of that same, like shaming the mothers and taking advantage of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then not really having any care for the actual lives of the children, just like what they can get you. Mm. And unfortunately, George Tam really benefited from her deeply shitty actions. Um, She toured the country lecturing on adoption Um, She was employing the language of eugenics, like I talked about, and she told Eleanor Roosevelt and Harry Truman that adopted children turned out better because of the selective process in which poor children could be remade into a higher type. And she became very, very rich, which was notable to people since she was running a nonprofit orphanage. They were kind of like, where do you get this? And her actions continued on pretty much unquestioned for 20 years. Uh, In 1949, things finally take a turn. Uh, Tennessee elects a new governor, Gordon Browning, and this new face kind of caused a lot of turnover, and it meant that a lot of Tan's, like, paid-off government friends were weakened or removed from office, and she was finally vulnerable. And so in 1950, Governor Browning held a press conference where he was basically like, we looked into it, and she's amassed a million dollars from her child-selling scheme, which is $11 million in today's currency. But unfortunately, Tan herself was never held accountable because three days after the press conference, she died in her home after slipping into a mysterious coma from untreated uterine cancer. Who the fuck? I know. So She got out of that. So she got out of it by dying, which, you know, good, but also bad. Um, a lot of her cohorts went down. Judge Camille Kelly um, quietly resigned. 
uh, and it took until late November, or early December of that year to find safe homes for the remaining children that were at the society. Um, and there's still a ton of children to this day who kind of have now realized that they were tan babies and are looking for their families or had these weird memories of their early years and are now like, oh, that's what happened to me. But ultimately, no one was ever prosecuted for their roles in this black market baby ring, which is horrible. But so that this is, is just awful. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry I talked about this. <laughs> and again, there's no revenge or anything at the end. Nope, none, none at all. None what happened there. to Anne? Do you know what happened to Anne? I don't know what happened to Anne. I hope she had a, a bad time. I hope she did too. I mean, I would assume because they kind of found this out right around the time Georgia died, I assume a lot of her money that Anne was set to inherit, she didn't get because they found out it was all criminally begotten. Uh, that would be nice. I don't fully know what happened to Anne. Uh, and I'm just happy now that the stories are kind of coming out more. It seems like a lot of the children who were impacted by this are now kind of processing, figuring out what happened to them and trying to kind of reconstruct everything, which is a positive thing. So good for yeah. them. Yeah, good for them. But it's crazy. And it's so crazy that like Joan Crawford adopted a Georgia tan baby. Like it's just. Yeah, like that's how far it's spread. That's yeah, crazy. but that's how I heard about it is because I knew. Joan Crawford, like, famously has a lot of, like, dramatic, famous, bad mother stories. And then, like, all of a sudden you hear, like, what? She adopted trafficked babies? Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I gotta look into that. It was, I was literally reading an article, and it was, like, she adopted a tan baby. And I was, like, what in the world is a T-A-N-N tan baby? Like, and I had to Google it, and then I was, like, oh. That's a a podcast. child trafficker. And I put it on my list of horrible things that exists on my phone to talk about on this podcast. Well, thank you for bringing that. And also, no thank you. Um, it's spooky. It is a little spooky. It is a little spooky. Um, but it's mostly just horrible. Yeah, mostly I hate it. Yeah. Um, but like all things that are spooky and horrible, I kind of want to hear everything about it. So thank you for telling the ta- tale so well. It's the concept um, of this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we, we're doing it all right. Um, oh, I have to talk about more dead children. Yeah, we didn't, we usually try to spread it out. We didn't do that. We usually try to spread out that. How much dead children we talk about. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I'm not laughing because dead children are funny. I'm just laughing because we're all in darkness right now. Um, but whatever, I'm going to press forward anyways. And you know what? If you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. And you have that right. Um, but it's spooky season and we're going to be spooky. Um, but yeah, no, well, that's, I, that's how I came to think about this actually is it is it's spooky season. Yeah. My house is decorated. Pumpkin candles are lit. Everything I drink comes out of a ceramic ghost. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here, I'm ready. And even you, Samantha Buntich, known Grinch have accepted that it's spooky season because it's October. It's past October 1st. Yes. Can you be a Grinch when it comes to Halloween as well? Are you a Grinch when it comes to Halloween? I'm less like of a Halloween? Grinch when it comes to Halloween, but I've also found Halloween, most people aren't like decorating for Halloween in June. I am. You are. August. Well, Disney World starts doing their Halloween decorations in August. So that's that's the uh, authority that I recognize. Fair enough. Um, it feels a little premature to me, but I'm no, I'm most Grinch about Christmas for sure. Okay, got it, got it. Um, but anywho, it's spooky season, thinking to myself, self, 
what's something spooky we could bring to the podcast, but it's got to be awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a great job with that. Um, You're welcome. And I was thinking about the fact that trick or treating is canceled this year. And I was like, well, I can't talk about that for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. but it is it's so sad. It's making me so sad, like needlessly sad, just thinking about little kids who can't go trick or treating. Can you imagine if we missed a year of trick or treating? I would have been very sad. Oh my God. I would have been devastated. Um, but so that's sad. But then I, it got me thinking about during my childhood, if there was anything like unwrapped or like partially unwrapped, like my mom would flip out and like take that away and throw those out and like anything homemade, like she'd take out, she'd throw away. Um, and there was that like razor blades and the apples mm-hmm. myth. Oh my dog's freaking out. Um, and, uh, he hates, <laughs> he hates the idea of this. He hates sugar trading. <laughs> um, and like, you know, like people would stick broken glass into chocolate or candy or like yep, cyanide absolutely. and Jolly Ranchers or whatever, like anything you can do to the world's purest substance, Halloween candy. Um, that's gruesome. Like that, that's what people were worried about. But in reference to this candy panic, I had heard it was a hoax, but I had also heard a lot of different stories about it. So I couldn't remember if it was like true or not. Yeah. So I decided that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to figure it out. Um, so put a pin in that. Let's talk about the industrial revolution for one minute. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been meaning to. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> so, um, after the Industrial Revolution, it's going to make sense, I promise, um, there was a lot of anxiety about food production being moved far away from people's homes. Like, there was an increase of people saying that they had been poisoned from food randomly mm. because food production was moving further and further away from people's homes. Specifically, doctors were saying that they had kids coming in saying they got sick from candy or poisoned from candy, so, so much so that the U.S. government did a study on candy <laughs> to see if there was anything harmful in it Mm -hmm. and uh they didn't find anything other than the fact that it's unhealthy which everyone knew Mm -hmm. um so they basically said that kids were either eating too much of it (laughs) or they got sick from one of the thousand other things that can make you sick during the turn of the century yeah um so then fast forward to the 60s and 70s we're starting to see a lot of random violence in the news huge upswing in violent crime it's serial killer palooza Mm-hmm. It's Manson Palooza. The stage is really being set for Stranger Danger as well. So just keep that in mind as we go through the different candy-related, poison-related happenings. Yeah. I'm going to tell you pretty much all of the things that have to do with Halloween candy and poison <laughs> in any permutation. <laughs> and you tell me if it's like a cause for concern or not. Okay. Like if you as a parent should actually be concerned. So in 1959, a dentist gave um, candy-coated laxatives to trick-or-treaters, which, I mean, I guess is bad. It's bad. It's bad. But it's like, you didn't try to kill them. You're just trying to make them poop. Like, I don't Yeah, I, I don't understand why. He was charged um, for the unlawful dispensing of drugs, but I think that was it. <laughs> I don't think anyone died. Um, uh, And then in 1964, a woman on Long Island um, who was sick of, like, teenagers trick-or-treating, like, she was mad that older people were trick-or-treating, started giving out 
like steel wool and dog biscuits and labeling things poison and giving them to the children. Uh, they weren't poisoned. She was just kind of a bitch, I guess. Okay. <laughs> she just kind of sucks. Um, and that same year, um, there was reports of bubblegum having lye in it, like lye the poison. Yikes. In Detroit. Um, but that was never substantiated. That was like a rumor going around the news. Mm. news but it wasn't substantiated. <clears throat> so then in 1970, uh, Kevin Tostin, a five-year-old boy from Detroit, um, ate, found and ate heroin um, that his uncle had, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, if you've got to do drugs, keep them away from children who can find it. Um, and he died tragically. Oh um, but his family was trying to protect the uncle and said that there was heroin sprinkled on his Halloween candy. Like it was uh-huh. poisoned, but it was out like that got out in the news and all this kind of stuff. But really it was just a tragic accident that came from within the family. Um, all right. A huge kickstart for the poison candy myth stemmed from the death of Timothy O'Brien. I'm going to read a little bit about this. Um, this is from mental floss. In 1974, an eight-year-old Houston boy named Timothy O'Brien died after eating cyanide-laced pixie sticks while trick-or-treating. Although the poisoning initially looked like it might have been the work of a deranged homeowner, the investigation into O'Brien's murder soon centered on his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien. A bit of digging revealed that Ronald O'Brien had recently taken out hefty life insurance policies on both of his children, and police quickly built a case, albeit a circumstantial one, that O'Brien had given both Timothy and his daughter Elizabeth the poison candy to try to collect on the policies. To help cover his tracks, O'Brien also gave two other children cyanide pixie sticks. Luckily, his daughter and the two other children had passed up the poison powders in favor of other treats. Mm-hmm. O'Brien was eventually convicted and executed for murdering his son. While his crime was certainly a horrific one, it was hardly a, the sort of random poisoning that parents fear. So yeah, yeah exactly I'm like fine. they say, like it's horrible. Yeah, and murder is bad. We've said that before. Hot take. We we we've, we've come out anti-murder many times. Many times. <clears throat> yeah, it seems like if you if a kid like mostly poison candy is being used as like an excuse or like yes exactly and and like in this case like the fact that he was poisoned from a pixie stick got into the news before the fact that he was murdered by his father got into the news um so in 1978 um patrick wiederhold a two-year-old boy from flint michigan um died after eating halloween candy but like they searched toxicology tests and they have no reason to believe it was because of the Halloween candy. It just was due to natural causes, but they like reported that it was after eating Halloween candy. So that's what they thought had happened. Um, in 1990, Ariel Katz, a seven-year-old in California was trick-or-treating and um, she, I think, died during trick-or-treating. So they again thought that it had been a piece of candy or a piece of poison or something that somebody had given her while she was trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. But she in fact had a serious medical condition like a problem with her heart that they didn't know about but that was actually her cause of death Mm -hmm. um but again it hits the airways of like a girl's trick-or-treating and she dies um and then lastly a four-year-old girl in vancouver um died after eating some halloween candy um but she actually had like strep so that's she died of an infection so like those are the only deaths that are related to halloween candy Mm -hmm. and none of them have anything to do with somebody tampering with their candy yeah like, that's 
other than that one guy who gave out laxative pills. And I think there was another time when um, somebody at the post office found a bag of candy. Somebody who worked at the post office found a bag of candy. He did not know that that bag of candy was being used to traffic marijuana. And he gave it out. (laughs) And he was like, he genuinely didn't know. And then like kids got home and they unwrapped it. And there's marijuana in it. But like, obviously like, if you eat marijuana, it's going to happen to you. So it's safe. It's not like, you know, like he was like, there was Coke in the Snickers packages. Um, so that wasn't dangerous. That's just, I mean, that's a little funny. Um, uh, but so. That guy and being like. Oh, imagine being hit. Exactly. Imagine being like, that's not mine. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Now to end this off to my absolute shock and delight. There is a sociologist named Joel Best who is considered the leader, stick with me now, in scholarly studies of candy tampering myths. I can't believe they have one either. <laughs> I hate to be the second guy in scholarly I would hate that. Um, but he, he exists and he has a website. Um, and he had this to say, it, like after conducting his research and debunking the majority myths surrounding candy danger, um, he refers to the phenomenon as Halloween sadism, mm. um, and kind of like satanic panic. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of similar. So he says Halloween sadism is best seen as contemporary legend, sometimes called an urban legend. Um, that is a story that is told as true, even though there might be little or no evidence that events in the story ever occurred. Contemporary legends are always are the ways we express anxiety. Note that concerns about Halloween tend to be particularly acute in years when some sort of terrible or recent crime has heightened public fears. Thus, the September 1982 reports of deaths due to poison Tylenol led to many warnings about trick-or-treating's dangers that year. And the Tylenol um, deaths happened like right before, mm-hmm. right in September, like right before Halloween. Yeah. <clears throat> Similarly, the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks were followed by legends warning against visiting malls on Halloween due to terrorism. Um, of course, many malls now offer safe trick-or-treating, and this legend may be seen as more of a way of expressing fears that Americans are no longer safe. There are related legends in more recent years that children have received cryptic terrorist-related messages in their Halloween candy. Oh, my. Um, I don't know what that would do, like, if they're recruiting (laughs) Halloween candy. Um, But he says, the concern lives on. A 2011 Harris Interactive poll of parents of children 12 and under found that 24% have concerns about poison treats. Damn. So, and one of those 24% was my mother. Yeah, fair enough. She took out anything that was, like, a little bit unwrapped. There was a tear in the wrapping, anything like that even though there was, it was unfounded. I mean, I appreciate that. Like, she was trying to make sure I wasn't yeah, better. But it, I could have had those Twix bars, Mom. Yeah. All I'm trying to say. What I'm hearing is Susan owes you a few Laffy Taffies. Yeah, you know why I'm going to go to hell? Um, among, like, the million other reasons that, um, that I've said on this podcast. I remember always getting really pissed off. At the time, my lovely uncle Stephen was in the military. Mm-hmm. He was, I believe, in Afghanistan. And um, we, my parents would say, like, we're going to take, because the, the troops, like, you know, need candy, like, to lift their spirits. And I, and now, as a grown woman, I'm like, yes, absolutely, I agree. Like, send things over. Um, but she would take, like, half my Halloween candy. I'd be like, I hate this. I hate the soldiers. <laughs> I hate America. Like, I can't believe that. Um, and uh, I was being a total brat about it. So that's. 
why I'm a bad person, I think. Yeah. Now I'd probably give it over yeah. to them. I'd still I just, be like, I hate America, but I'd be like, here is my Halloween candy. Yeah, I mean, I still have trouble with America, but um, yeah, that's that's a fond memory I have of fighting with my parents. Like, I don't want to give my Halloween candy to heroes dying for our safety. And they were like, well, that's... You're gonna. You're gonna. So deal with it. <clears throat> I mean, I guess they could have bought candy at the store, but you know. They were teaching you a valuable lesson. They were teaching you a valuable years, lesson, absolutely. Years. Um, maybe I'm still mad about it. Maybe I'm still a bad person. No, maybe I think it was right. maybe it was my candy, Sam. To do with what I pleased. Right. Well, um, the next time I see you. Absolutely, thank you. Um, but yeah, that's all she wrote. Um, that's it. For meaning today. me. That's it for today. Um, a lot of child death. Sorry about that. But yeah. also. You know, what did you sign up for? Yeah, I mean, this isn't the, the super fun, awesome. <laughs> this isn't the view, all right? <laughs> we're just here. We're just two women trying to talk about children who are murdered. I don't know what else you want from us. Um, but uh, we love you. Um, spooky season. Get your pumpkins. Get your gourds. Mm-hmm. Whip them out. It's time. It's Very exciting. It's half past time to half get Half past time. Um, but until next time, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified.